It is Friday the 15th of September, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, let us pray, Have pity, Lord, have pity. For all parents who bear and raised children in poverty and exile, have pity, Lord. For all parents who grieve the loss of a child before birth, have pity, Lord. For all parents who suffer over their children's life choices, have pity, Lord. For all parents who mourn the death of a child, have pity, Lord. God our Father, the Blessed Virgin Mary took part in her son's redemptive suffering for love of you and for the sake of the world. Through her intercession, may all your church's suffering bear saving fruit in Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show on this Friday, the 15th day of the month of September. And, uh, of course, the whole month of September is actually dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. But the actual feast comes today. And if you've been paying attention this week, it comes exactly one day after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. So uh, it's a feast that flows forth from uh, our Lord's experience on the cross because Mary was there. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. And up this hour, we're going to talk more about the sorrows of Mary and what it means uh, to take part in this devotion and to reflect on this reality with Danielle Bean. And she's got some great thoughts on it. Pat Flynn's got a new book uh, called The Best Argument for God. Now, uh, that title alone should make you interested in what Pat's got to say. But Pat actually is personally invested in this question because, well, Pat used to be an atheist. So uh, we'll talk to Pat about that. We're going to discuss the legacy of Robbie Robertson with Ken Craycraft, uh, our legal and political analyst, in this case, uh, sort of religious cultural analyst, maybe? We'll talk about that with Ken. And then Father Hezekiah Carnazzo is going to do what Father Hezekiah Carnazzo does with us every week around this time, and that is to take a look at the Mass readings for this Sunday. So lots of great stuff to get to here on a Friday morning on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Right now, it is three minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England ahead of Hurricane Lee. Lee is currently a Category 1 hurricane northwest of Bermuda. The National Weather Service says the storm will pass offshore of New England on Saturday, but its impact will be felt far from the storm center. A tropical storm warning is currently in effect along the coast from Rhode Island to Maine. Forecasters are warning of wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour, surge flooding, and heavy rainfall. Some members of the United Auto Workers are on strike after the union failed to reach a new contract with the big three automakers. Targeted strikes against Ford, GM, and Stellantis started right after the deadline. Union President Sean Fain said workers at three plants in Missouri, Ohio, and Michigan will be the first to picket the UAW has more than 140,000 members and is seeking pay increases, a four-day work week, and the return of pension and retiree benefits. 
Major TV and film studios have agreed to resume contract talks with striking Hollywood writers. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers released a statement yesterday saying it was working to schedule a meeting next week. The statement said every member of the alliance is, quote, committed and eager to reach a fair deal and to working together with the WGA to end the strike. The Writers Guild of America says it shared the development with its 11,000 members a few hours later. Hollywood actors are also on strike but are conducting separate negotiations. Pope Francis has praised what he called the courageous and prophetic witness of ecumenical scholars. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis emphasized the rigorous and scholarly exegetical exchange among academics that allows the beauty of the apostles' letters and their importance for Christian and ecclesial life to emerge. The Pope described the initiative as courageous in overcoming barriers of defensiveness and prophetic in promoting a healthy impatience of the spirit for fullness of unity and commitment to bearing witness. Throughout history, divisions have been a source of suffering, the Pope said. Today we must commit ourselves to reversing course, moving forward on the paths of unity and fraternity, which begin precisely by praying, studying, and working together. Noting that colloquium participants are focusing on chapters 9 through 11 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, Pope Francis highlighted the irrevocable call and gifts of God described in Romans 11.29. Here he said, St. Paul hands on to us a message of fundamental importance. God does not fail in his promises of salvation and patiently carries them out, even through unexpected and surprising ways. Pope Francis said his support for the colloquium's work is based precisely on the foundation of our confidence in the mercy and promises of God. While encouraging them to continue their fraternal and academic dialogue, he also invited the scholars, above all else, to allow themselves to be amazed by the countless spiritual resources contained in the Pauline letters in order to offer Christian communities new words, able to communicate the Father's merciful goodness, Christ's newness of salvation, and the Spirit's renewing hope. He concluded with his own hope that the work of the colloquium might foster the ecumenical spirit among believers as an aid to our common journey of seeking the Lord. I'm Christopher Wells. Pope Francis met with royalty yesterday. The Holy Father welcomed King Philippe and Queen Matilda of Belgium at the Vatican. The Holy See Press Office reports that their conversation focused on international issues, including Africa and the war in Ukraine, as well as their commitment to peace. And New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers is taking the first steps toward recovery after tearing his Achilles tendon. Yesterday, Rodgers announced he'd had a successful surgery and posted a photo of himself smiling from a hospital bed. He also thanked the medical team taking care of him. Rodgers tore his Achilles in Monday night's game against the Buffalo Bills. After the accident, he said he was completely heartbroken, but vowed to rise yet again. Well, I hope that uh, he gets better. You hate to see any injury in the field. I don't. There are some people who cheer for injuries for various players. I am not that kind of person. I feel like that is bad for your soul. Oh, absolutely. I would say to Aaron what I'd say to anybody. Hope you get better, man. Yeah. By the way, Anna Mitchell. I'm just. Can I just make a comment? Oh, you go like, first. How amazed i am i mean i guess i shouldn't be surprised but like how quickly professional athletes can get their surgery like i feel like 
Yeah. Well, like it would be like three. Let me explain four something weeks. to you about money. <laughs> All right, I was just gonna say while we got the 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 sports thing in the mix, so you got your uh, in the National League, well, in the American League as well. Whoever's leading a division, you know, they get a playoff spot, and then there are three wild card spots. You want to know what the National League wild card, card situation is right now? Oh, yeah, please. Spot one goes to the Philadelphia Phillies. They're four games up. Spot two goes to the Chicago Cubs, which are two and a half games up. Then there wow. is a three-way tie for that third place. Wow. A three-way tie between the Giants, who got rained out yesterday, the Reds, who lost yesterday, and the Diamondbacks, who lost yesterday. Wow. It wow. is going to wow. be a wild rush to the finish. Wow. That's why they call it the wild card, right? Uh, by the way, the Miami Marlins are only one half game back of those three. Really? Yeah. Dang. That's crazy. I love baseball, especially when our Reds are in it. So good. So good. Well, today is Friday, September the 15th, and we are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Danielle Bean joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. You can connect with her, invite her to speak, or lead a retreat at DanielleBean.com. Listen to her girlfriend's podcast through GoodCatholic.com. Join the community at GirlfriendsCommunity.com. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. This is my favorite, favorite, favorite time of year. September 15th is one of my mm-hmm. favorite days on the liturgical calendar, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And we're going to be talking about her today. She's known in Latin as the Mater Dolorosa, the Sorrowful Mother. I'm wondering if you could mm-hmm. reflect on that to start our conversation, that her sorrows are so connected with her motherhood. Right, right. I think that this is something that I appreciate, too, about our liturgical year, that we have feasts like this that turn our attention toward a different aspect of perhaps a saint or a different aspect of salvation history, where we can look at, in this example, at the sorrows of Our Lady and how they were intrinsic in the yes that she said to God back when the angel Gabriel visited her at the Annunciation. She did not know exactly how she would suffer, but she had a close relationship with God. She knew and understood Scripture, so she knew very well that she was saying yes to something very challenging, something very difficult, something very painful. And the fact that Our Lady embraced suffering in this way from very early on, from the beginning of her vocation, has a lesson for all of us, but I think uniquely for mothers, because it is so tied from the very beginning of her motherhood, this idea of embracing sorrow and suffering as just part of it, this sorrow and suffering that isn't just, you know, meaningless and just, you know, done to, mm-hmm. to make somebody suffer, but it's truly fruitful, and that this brought about the the opportunity for our, our salvation, that she was a, fully a part of that, and her yes to her sorrowful suffering was part of our salvation history, and an important part, a vital part. So when we reflect on that as mothers ourselves, I think there are so many things about our, our motherhood that maybe we're, we're tempted to kind of put a happy face on, you know, like, oh, of course, it's all joy, it's all blessings. And, and of course, that part is true, too. 
But when we look at Our Lady, sometimes there's that same thing, like, oh, she's so peaceful, she's so blessed, this beautiful mother with this serene smile on her face, right? And yet this is the other part of it, the, the other part that is equally true, and that we experience that, too, in our motherhood. We suffer uniquely as women because we are mothers, because we love uniquely as mothers, because we love with our unique capacity for self-giving, life-giving, depleting love. It costs us something to love in the way that God uniquely created us to as mothers. Amen. You know, just I want to go back to that point about um, putting a happy face on it in a second here, but just to, to mm-hmm. keep going with that that line of thought that you have, because I was thinking about this. There are people that that scoff at the idea that Mary was also crucified on Good Friday, and they think that, you know, that somehow takes away from the suffering of her son. And I understand that that idea, but then I became a mother who had to sit at the foot of my child's cross, watch a child suffer and not be able to take my child down from her cross and and I think that that we as mothers who who have had a child suffer know that 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 experience of watching a child suffer is more painful than any physical pain that we endure in our bodies. Right, right. That kind of suffering is enormous. And I, I know that you've shared with listeners before uh, about your your daughter's story, but I think it is so moving, and, and I want you to repeat it as many times as you can because <laughs> I think it is so important that we, we recognize these, these stories as women, as mothers. We won't all have as dramatic a story as what you went through with your daughter, but we all do suffer. And there's this temptation, like we said earlier, to, to say, okay, well, you know, or brush over it or just get past it or grit our teeth and get through it. But if we can fully recognize that this is part of our experience of motherhood as God intends it in, in a very loving, beautiful way, that then we can more fully embrace our motherhood and more fully understand the beauty of God's plan for our salvation. Yeah, and that beauty is what I wanted to talk about for a second because, yes, suffering is hard, and and sometimes it's it could be gruesome. I mean, just think about what she was witnessing at the foot of the cross that day on Good Friday. Right. But so beautiful. You think about the Pieta, for instance. There is beauty in sorrow. And, and that is where I think the Blessed, the blessed Mother really interceded for me in, in my experience with Roma. You know, I, I pray this consecration prayer to her, asking for the graces to, to have the courage and, and, and the grace, as I was saying, to, to watch my child suffer and not look away. And, and possibly, I mean, this did not happen, thanks be to God, but, um, you know, at the time, I wasn't sure if I was going to have to watch my child suffer and eventually die from what right. she was, was dealing with. Um, but, but I found so much beauty in those times of suffering, watching my child suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To some people, that might sound crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> because we want to reject suffering. It is normal. It's human to want to reject suffering. But I think that's the, the beauty of our faith is that it invites us into seeing the deeper meaning and the, the larger picture and the beauty and the fruitfulness of this kind of suffering, that our, our God can transform the worst parts of our human experience into the best parts. 
And that's something that's unfathomable from the outside sometimes. And yet Our Lady is such a beautiful example of that. And I love that we have this feast day set aside simply to reflect on that, to simply reflect upon her sorrows as a mother. And just as for us who are our mothers as well, there's such a, a beautiful parallel there. And we can look at ways that that applies to our life and our experience of motherhood in the world today. Well, and, you know, you think about our little kids and they're like, no, she's my mom. Jesus didn't have that attitude. He shares right. his mom with all of us. Right, exactly. I mean, he, you know, in, in those moments where he was hanging on the cross uh, about to die, one of his last gestures was to give us his mother. The best good that he had here on earth was his mother, his precious mother. And he wanted to give us every last good thing in those moments as he was pouring out his life out of love for us. And Mary was that gift that he wanted to give to us. So I think this, there's so much on this, on this feast day that we can reflect on, but I want to encourage people listening just to, to bring the, the theme of this feast, this, this bringing about good, bringing about fruitfulness and life from enormous suffering. Like how does that apply in your life today? Where are you experiencing suffering, tempted to push it away, tempted to take a shortcut around it, and yet God might be calling you into deeper relationship with him. He wants to do something beautiful with your embracing of that. Really beautiful. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. Find her and her podcast linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Bernadette Pogusky, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? To reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn. To bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion. And to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. Bernadette, from AM 1260 The Rock in Cleveland, Ohio, you got us last weekend. You got us real good. You put our Bengals down hard. And uh, I feel like I need to acknowledge that. 
She did. It's true. We were, you know. It's a bad weekend for us. Good weekend for you. We'll see you again soon in the season. Here's Anna with headlines. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England ahead of Hurricane Lee. U.S. aid has announced a new religious engagement policy, and Pope Francis met yesterday with the King and Queen of Belgium. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. By the way, if you uh, want to get all kinds of things delivered to your inbox, well, really not all kinds of things, just really one thing every day, a rundown of the show notes and the prayers that we use in the morning, then just go to sunrisemorningshow.com, click subscribe, enter your email there, and you can get that list of show notes and guests in your inbox every morning. It's 21 past. Do you go to definitely a better way to start your day? Not only are you start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show, soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family, plus you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Remember, O most loving heart of Jesus, that they for whom I pray are those for whom you prayed so earnestly the night before your death. These are they to whom you look to continue with you in your sorrows when others forsake you, who share your griefs and have inherited your persecutions according to your word, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember, O heart of Jesus, that they are the objects of the world's hatred and Satan's deadliest snares. Keep them then, O Jesus, in the safe citadel of your sacred heart, and there let them be sanctified in truth. May they be one with you and one among themselves, and grant that multitudes may be brought through their word to believe in you and love you. Amen. called The Best Argument for God. I've been looking for a book that would be able to, to give that, and I'm glad we've got one now. Pat, how are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, this is an ambitious book, uh, you know, setting out to prove God's existence. <laughs> but, you know, before we get into The Best Argument for God, um, you're trying to help people understand classical theism up over and against atheistic naturalism and you know, this is not just an intellectual exercise for you, right? I mean, you had to do this in your own exact—like, this was your journey, right? That's right, yeah. So it's not just to help other people. It's also to recount my own philosophical and ultimately religious journey, which, um, you know, terminated in me uh, becoming Catholic. 
So for many years, uh, my background in philosophy was formed in an atheistic, naturalistic, reductivist, if you will, if you will, materialist worldview. And I spent a lot of years uh, in that camp, in that position. And through trying to work through various puzzles and difficulties and questions, I ultimately came to see that that worldview was not able to explain all the things that I think needed to be explained. It wasn't able to answer all the biggest, most important questions in life in general, but certainly in my life. And it was through seeing the inadequacy of naturalism, atheistic naturalism. And for people who are unfamiliar, naturalism is just really a philosophically developed form of atheism. So yeah, seeing the inadequacy of that caused me to want to seriously reconsider the theistic and ultimately religious worldview. And what I found there was a much more coherent and satisfying explanation of the experiences that we all find ultimately undeniable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, the... There, there's one thing to address the inadequacies of the naturalistic worldview. It's another thing to address the logical end of a naturalistic worldview, <laughs> which is really where the problems actually like that's where it gets really bleak and messed up, right? A lot of people, you know, kind of uh, who are armchair atheists, uh, yeah. who are like, I don't like Christians. I think TV preachers are hypocrites. And yeah. you know, you're telling me that uh, this whole world came here from some like you know, magical space creature, you know, no thanks. Uh, but when you really dig into atheistic naturalism, I mean, you've got like a, I mean, that's got some bleak implications, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. And there were implications that I ran up to myself when I was trying to work consistently through that ultimately absurd starting point. Um, so just to give a few examples, you know, atheists uh, who really think seriously about these matters are looking at certain features of reality that seem like they need to be explained. Everything from the moral dimension, our moral experience, uh, to the, the qualitative dimension, our conscious experience, the fact that we are just aware of our own awareness. These are, these are large-scale features of reality that seem to require some explanation. And ultimately, I think what the naturalistic picture forces you to do is not to explain these phenomena, but explain them away, right? So if, if naturalism is committed to the idea that everything sort of reduces to physics, right, that it's just atoms and the laws are used to combine them, it, it becomes really difficult to make sense of certain features of the world that we think are ultimately undeniable, like the moral realm, like our own conscious personal experience. And so when you dive into naturalism proper, what you'll find is many naturalists themselves ultimately just deny that these experiences are what they seem like. They're nihilists. They think that there are no objective moral facts or values. There's no grand narrative or meaning or purpose to life. Some of them will even go, to, go on to deny themselves that there's no, that there's no real Matt Swain or Pat Flynn. There's just a bundle of particles shaped <laughs> in a Pat Flynn way or a Matt Swain way. And so even our own personal experiences, even our own consciences, somehow some sort of a grand illusion. Now, I think that that's just fantastic nonsense on its face, but I think that it is, uh, it, it is uh, the naturalist trying to work through consistently from their starting points. Now, of course, I think that the right thing to do is once you kind of reduce to the absurd like that, you should go back and change your starting point. Um, but yeah, there's, there's naturalists that for whatever reason are so committed to naturalism, they'll just bite the bullet on these, these nihilistic absurdities. So I think you've, you've got it exactly right. And then, you know, the best thing you can do at that point is just enjoy it while you got it. But how can you even enjoy it if it's all an illusion, <laughs> right? So, I mean, yeah, well, I, at that point, I don't know, like, what philosophical argument I can give you, but I might be able to get, you know, a couple medication recommendations. There you go. That's, that's the, there's something, you know, and, uh, you know, slip them inside the book cover, right? Uh, but when it comes to the best argument for God. We're not going to be able to solve that in a single conversation here, and this is why we've right. got to go get your 256-page book. But what's one simple thing 
that you didn't think about when you were an atheist that you wish you would have thought about sooner in regard oh, sure. to this question? Yeah, yeah there's, there's lots, obviously, and as you uh, said, it's a 256-page book exploring all these different things I wish I would have thought about sooner. Uh, one of them is, is, of course, the realm of what philosophers call contingency. The fact that there just are things that don't have to be. There's things that exist, but there's nothing about their nature or essence that demands that they exist. Everything from atoms to cats to, to, to me to you to Ingve Malmsteen, people like neoclassical guitar work. By the way, this um, is the first so, time Ingve's ever gotten a shout out on this radio show, to my knowledge, so good job. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to put him in somewhere, right? And he's in the book, too, if people need another selling point. Uh, and so, you know, what philosophers all throughout history, Matt, have thought that contingency is something that demands an explanation, right? It can't just be a brute fact that there are things that exist that don't need to exist but have no reason for their existence. And so many traditional theists and contemporary theists have thought that if you're going to ultimately explain why there's anything that is contingent at all, anything is a type contingent that is but need not be, you're going to have to get to some sort of reality that is just fundamentally very different. It's a sort of necessary sort of reality. And once you contemplate that, and I contemplated at length in the book and give various arguments for why I think a necessary reality would have to be God, I think you're ultimately going to wind up at a theistic picture of the world, where to sort of anchor everything else, to anchor all the contingency, you have to trace back or twist up to something that is not contingent and that lacks any of those features or attributes that indicate contingency or dependency, things like changeability or finitude, uh, or the fact that it just comes in and goes out of existence that we observe through common experience. Whatever, whatever has those types of features cannot be the ultimate reality we're looking for. And when you think about that hard enough and long enough, you're, you're going to get to a notion of transcendence that I think will ultimately pull you into a, into a classical theistic worldview. Well, from classical theism... You can go to some other places. At least I know I did, and I know Pat did too. You can find his book, The Best Argument for God, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England ahead of Hurricane Lee. Lee is currently a Category 1 hurricane northwest of Bermuda. The National Weather Service says the storm will pass offshore of New England on Saturday, but its impact will be felt far from the storm center. A tropical storm warning is currently in effect along the coast from Rhode Island to Maine. Forecasters are warning of wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour, surge flooding, and heavy rainfall. A new report says Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be meeting with President Biden at the White House next week. More from Mark Mayfield. Sources tell Axios that Zelensky will also hold meetings on Capitol Hill and speak to the U.N. General Assembly. Both Zelensky and Biden are scheduled to address the assembly on Tuesday. The White House has not commented on the report. Congress is currently considering Biden's request for an additional $20 billion in aid to Ukraine in its war against Russia. I'm Mark Mayfield. USAID, the independent department of the federal government that distributes aid to foreign countries, has announced a new religious engagement policy. Catholic News Agency reports the goals include improved collaboration between religious institutions and the agency to maximize humanitarian assistance outcomes. The agency will also be pursuing what it calls strategic religious engagement with religious partners. They say the policy, entitled Building Bridges, 
underscores the, quote, important role of religious communities and faith-based organizations as strategic development partners, end quote. Pope Francis met with royalty yesterday. The Holy Father welcomed King Philippe and Queen Matilda of Belgium at the Vatican. The Holy See Press Office reports their conversation focused on international issues, including Africa and the war in Ukraine, as well as the commitment to peace. Meanwhile, the Vatican Secretary of State is traveling to Slovakia. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo has more. Cardinal Pietro Parolin, the Vatican Secretary of State, highlighted that his visit, marked by significant anniversaries, has a clear objective. To share the faith of the ecclesial communities, to strengthen their communion, to renew the message that the Holy Father left during his apostolic visit, to pray together to the Virgin Mary on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, the national patroness for the country and for the great intentions that are close to the Pope's heart, and especially for peace. This visit also aims to foster cooperation between the Holy See and Slovakia to promote values such as social justice, solidarity, fraternity and peace, said the Cardinal. When asked about what Slovakia can offer to the world despite its size, he responded that its small size does not prevent it from making an extremely significant contribution to the world and its transformation. He emphasized that this contribution is tied to Slovakia's rich history, its culture, Christian heritage, commitment to spiritual values and the promotion of mutual respect and civil and religious coexistence. Reflecting on the mission of St. Cyril and Methodius, Cardinal Parolin noted that they provide an extraordinary testimony of how Christianity can be successfully integrated into different cultures, a concept known precisely as enculturation. He highlighted the importance of this testimony for our time, including the appreciation of diversity and unity, mutual respect, the need for enculturation and interreligious dialogue. He also emphasized the need to translate faith into a language which is accessible to younger generations, and this requires a great capacity to listen to one another, he says. Finally, regarding the importance of coming together in prayer and action, Cardinal Parolin expressed his anticipation of large, lively, prayerful religious gatherings during the visit. He encouraged participation to strengthen faith, love for the Lord, and commitment to values, aiming for the Church to truly be a light for all and to transform society with the leaven of the Gospel. I'm Francesca Merlo. A 54-day novena begins today in Ohio on this Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows and will run through Election Day when voters in the state will decide whether to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged the faithful and all people of goodwill to vote no on issue one. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. After his conversion, the repentant Augustine humbly used to say, O Lord, you have loosed my bonds. To you will I offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. Take note, I beg you, how the heart of the saint was full of gratitude toward God. Certainly one of the most serious sins that people commit is forgetting the graces which they have received. When this ingratitude resides in the intellect, it is truly bad and dangerous because it passes on to the will and becomes such a vice that it makes a person completely forgetful of the debt of gratitude he or she owes to God. This is the greatest of all evils and one of the major impediments to grace. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. Continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined by King Craycraft. He is our sort of resident legal and political analyst, but also cultural commentary guy. Mostly when it has to do with like, I don't know, like 70s music, 60s music. Ken, how are you? I'm good, Matt. Good to be with you. And it's always good to talk about uh, good music with you. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, because... You know, we're talking about Robbie Robertson, who recently passed. He's from the band. And, uh, you know, if uh, someone were trying to come up with a name for their musical outfit today, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't come up with the band. That is just too hard to find on Google, right? I mean, just the, the audacity of just naming themselves that is so yeah. amusing to me. It is. And, you know, it, it, and it, it really fits the persona of the band extremely well because they, they're an, it, it's a very odd group because in, in many, you know, they made they really made their uh, reputation playing uh, for Bob Dylan. That, that's how they really sort of made the reputation as musicians and, and burst onto the popular scene. And yet they were just Bob Dylan's band. I mean, they they were and 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 even then the reason that they burst onto the scene was because Bob Dylan quote went electric unquote and he made had that famous tour in uh, in England where uh, he would do one acoustic set and then one electric set and of course the electric set was backed up by the band and uh, after that tour and and they became well known Robbie Robertson on lead guitar of course uh, they were trying to decide what to call themselves as they made their own music. And uh, they played around with some possibilities. And, and they, they had had pr- prior iterations before Dylan, but that was really their big breakthrough. And yeah, they just came out with the band. And, and you know, uh, th- another reason that it's, it's somewhat ironic is that they're the, they're the least well-known, famous, legendary band <laughs> probably in America. I would uh, say that they history. are the band who is probably most likely to get stuck in your head. And then when you hear them, you're like, yes, who is it that I does didn't. this song? Yes, exactly. And that's exactly right, Matt. And that's why Robbie Robertson is such an important at, uh, part of the history of what we s- sometimes broadly call Americana music. Now I have to be quick to point out that Robbie Robertson and 
uh, two uh, and three other three other of uh, the members of the band were Canadian. So it was principally a, Cana- a Canadian group, uh, Richard Manuel and, and Rick Danko, uh, who predeceased Robertson and uh, Levon Helm, who also uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, and um, and uh, uh, Garth Hudson is still living, but Danko and, and Manuel are dead. And then Levon Helm was the, the fifth member and he was an American. So, but still we, what we call Americana music, broadly speaking, uh, is, is really uh, an, a, 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 was born from, in some sense, the head of Robbie Robertson. So, and, and some of these songs that you're talking about are songs like Stage Fright or The Wait uh, or The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down up on Cripple Creek. I'm sure listeners are listening to this right now and saying, yeah, I know that song, but I had no idea it was the band. Uh, or all the or same band, right? right? Yeah. Or all the same, exactly. Because as I as I uh, wrote in a piece commemorating the death of Robbie Robertson uh, in our Sunday Visitor, I said, these are songs that seem like they have never not existed uh, because they're just, they're they're under the skin of of American music listeners, and uh, and uh, and 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 Robbie Robertson's legacy is very rich in that because he was the uh, principal songwriter for all those songs, and he was the 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 leader of the band. Uh, even though, and this is very unusual for the leader of the band, he was not the lead singer, and in fact, he didn't sing and uh, uh, lead or really even backup on many of these songs, but lead singer on none of them. They were all written for other members of the band. Well, I've been trying for a long time to figure out what people mean by Americana. I went to a quote-unquote Americana music festival, uh, Appaloosa Fest, yes. a few weeks ago, which you need to come with me to sometime. Yes, and we'll, you, yes. we'll camp out there together. And uh, trying to describe Americana, uh, you know, even to my own 11-year-old son, I'm like, well, uh, they, they name a lot of cities in their songs. It's a, there's a very <laughs> geographical element to Americana yeah. music. They just name places a lot. But it got me thinking about Robbie Robertson, who um, – has I believe indigenous and Jewish sort of like ancestral roots, and I was trying to think. Well, what what would be sort of you know anything that might come through in the lyrics about this? And I thought about some of the songs like "Up on Cripple Creek," um, you know, "The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down," and some others. If there's anything that's that's you know probably got that element of Jewish stuff in it it's the wandering in the desert part of it you know because yeah it seems to yeah. me like so much of the um the content of what the band put out has to do with with a sort of wandering as it were yeah i think that's right and, and i think that that is also uh, a broader aspect of americana music because it's sort of the um you know the american experience is the experience of expansion uh of movement of wandering you think about you know great American poetry, and you think of Jack Kerouac's "The Road," for example. Uh, and, and it's on the road. About, it's Cormac McCarthy's uh, "The Road." Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, they well, all have something Cormac, to do with roads, though, don't they? Exactly. Roads and, and country roads from take one me point home. To the other. I yeah, mean, my exactly. Yeah. Uh, 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 Highway 61, uh, Bob Dylan. Um, so yeah, that, this is this is an aspect of the American experience of the the wanderer and pushing the frontiers and exploring uh, the unknown, and and that really is an aspect of Americana lyrics. Now, of course, Americana music, the musical part of it, is is unique. Well, yeah, it's unique in its non uniqueness, uh, and, and what I mean by that is that it incorporates a whole host of uh, American uh, of musical styles, 
most of which are each indigenous to the United States or to North America, but are blended in a way that that makes that makes it distinct. So it's not rock and roll. It's not country. It's not folk. It's not jazz. It's all of those things. Uh, and, and therefore, and once again, I think you have uh, you're hitting on something and talking about the road because it isn't ju- the lyrics aren't just about exploring frontiers and about moving from one point to the other or wandering around. But the music itself has this eclectic quality where it picks up as it goes different aspects of the American experience through uh, tonal uh, themes and timbre and and other aspects of music that that make uh, Americana unique, which also, of course, makes it difficult to define. Well, it also makes it in some ways, I'd say a little bit difficult to listen to. I can't help but think of... uh, um, not difficult to listen to and like it's terrible music, but difficult to listen to in this it leaves you a little, with a little bit of an unsettled feeling sometimes uh and the at least it does for me and i, I just keep on going back to this this quote from g k Chesterton where he says uh progress is a comparative of which we have not uh you know established the superlative like progress towards what like wandering <laughs> towards where yeah like we're yeah. we're we're moving we're expanding we're we're kind of growing we're like on the road, I mean, there's like this whole genre of trucking songs, right? Like, but like, yeah, you, where's where's home? Like, where is yeah. that? You know, and I feel like that is something that you know, in even in this Americana genre, you sort of are left with. I mean, we as Catholics, like, we know where our where we're aiming, but like, it seems like in the American spirit, there's just sort of this restless, like, what is home? Kind of question. Yeah, and you think about songs like the Rest, Restless Wanderer, and and that's a that's a very nice point because when we think about Americana music and and uh, and and that way of writing songs, uh, it, certainly there's a sense in which it resonates with Christ, the Christian experience of being on pilgrimage, but but in a way it doesn't resonate because the pilgrimage has an endpoint, and we know where it is. We know that there are rough spots along the way. You know, you think about, for example, Pilgrim's Progress and, the, you know, the slew of despond and, and all of those things get, that get in the way. But still, it's it's a journey towards something. And we know what the something is toward which we're journeying. Americana music with this restlessness of soul sometimes does leave us thinking that there really isn't a known end point. Uh, and, and really the the uh, the quest, sometimes it seems like the quest itself is the thing. And we know uh, that the quest is an important aspect of religious experience and specifically Christian experience. But the quest is not the thing in itself. The quest is how it is our progress toward the thing. And, and you're right. Sometimes Americana music leaves us thinking, well, where are we going here? But again, I think that that still has a, a, a ring of truth because that's part of the American experience too a sort of uh, indeterminate wandering that, that speaks to the way to the North American heart. Yeah, a lot of it feels like reading half of Confessions, but not the good half. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> uh, Kid Craycraft, you've written about this for Our Sunday Visitor, and I uh, would encourage people to go check it out. Thank you so much, as always. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. You too. Again, Ken's OSV article about Robbie Robertson and the band at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back after this, it's 14 Till. <laughs> We need your help. 
Hello, I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. To ask, why should I pray, is the same as asking, why should I raise my mind and heart to God, since that's what prayer is. But when stated like that, it's pretty obvious. We need to pray because God is He to whom our minds and hearts are ultimately directed. Union with Him is our ultimate destiny. Without prayer, we lose our direction to God as our ultimate end, and thus set ourselves on a path that leads back into the slavery of sin. With us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Father, good morning. Good morning, Annie. A blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And our readings for Mass on Sunday, the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and incidentally will be the first Sunday past yesterday's feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, we have the theme of forgiveness definitely uh, running through these readings this weekend. Uh, The first reading from the book of Sirach, chapter 27. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. The vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance, for he remembers their sins in detail. Forgive your neighbors in justice. Then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Father, why do I have to forgive other people in order to be forgiven myself? You know, this is a, a great question, Annie. It's a, one of the challenging questions and, and difficulties in the moral life, the Christian moral life. Um, and I think the key is for the in the first verse that you just shared with us from the book of Sirach, and that is the danger, well, this rhymes, the danger of anger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, because, because um, as I oftentimes tell people that come to my parish and come to me for spiritual direction or holy confession, that, that, that the root of all of our anger is the sin of forgetfulness. And what I mean by that is the forgetfulness that our entire life is a gift from God. And when I allow anger to take hold of my life, when I begin to, to forget uh, the gift which is my life in every aspect— then I begin to think that I have everything by right. 
which is such a, uh, a temptation for us in, in modern America, right? Everything mm-hmm. is mine by right. And if everything is mine by right, then I make a god of myself. And, and I form God, if you will, into my image after my likeness. And, and there's, there's also the, the gift of free will in my life. I can make a God in my life. I can make God to be in my life. Well, I can try to change his nature. And, uh, and, and instead of me being conformed to the image and likeness of the Lord, I begin to form him into my image and after my likeness. And it becomes a, uh, a, a cycle of death, a cycle of destruction. Um, and so the Lord invites us to begin to live as he lives. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is, like, you know, Pope Francis said, uh, that mercy is love in action. Forgiveness is love. It's a desire that the other person be everything that God wants them to be, that the other person be vibrant in their life, be restored in the image and likeness of God. It is my going out to the other to be to them as God has been to me. Yeah, instead of making God in our own image, we should live out our lives as being made in the image and likeness of God, who, as we hear in the psalm, is kind and merciful, slow to anger, and rich in compassion. And we see that playing out in our gospel for this weekend, don't we? Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And um, the Lord telling Peter, no, you don't forgive someone as many as seven times, but 77 times. Yeah. You know, um, this, this gospel is given to us as the apostles and Jesus are making their way to Jerusalem for the Passion and Crucifixion. Of course, we're receiving this in the days after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. The, the cross is, for the, for, the, for the Christian, the revelation of the depth and breadth of God's love for us, in which he's given his whole self for us. And it is now, we, we are now invited into this reality. We're invited into this way of life, into this divine way, which gives of itself as its very nature of life. Uh, remember, Jesus goes to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is love in action, and this is what we are called to now, to, to forgive 70 times 7, or, or, or as the translation has it, 77 times. To, it is, in a sense, the fullness of forgiveness. Huh? The number 7 represents the covenant the covenant ultimately between God and man uh, in the Old Testament, in which we are invited into a relationship with the Lord, who is, as the psalm says, kind and merciful, slow to anger, rich in compassion. This is our Lord, and this is the invitation that we receive this Sunday, to, be, to, to embrace the cross as a reality in our life, and then allow it to bring joy. But imagine that. The worst that the evil one could, could, could throw at the Lord, the worst that the Romans could do to a person, crucify them, becomes the image of God's self-giving love, and it becomes the image of the Christian. And as we learn in this gospel, too, Jesus telling the, the parable of that wicked servant who had so much forgiven by his master, and then turns around and holds a fellow servant 
in debt for a much smaller mm. amount. We're called to be like the the master here and and forgive yeah. all. Yeah, and any n- notice notice the moment when this when this servant who owes a lifetime of debt to the to his to the king. Notice when that debt is forgiven. It's when this man turns and asks for mercy. This coming Sunday, this is this is what we are invited to to ask the Lord for mercy, to fall down on our knees, to ask him for mercy. And then of course, as I said, as Pope Francis tells us, mercy is love and actually pour Lord your life into me, your self giving life, your life which has by its very nature a word of forgiveness, so that I might go out to my brother and sister who I have so often held in spiritual debt, in spiritual slavery, and being restored in the image and likeness of God, grant them freedom that they might live in the image and likeness of the Lord. Yeah, and just looking at the Alleluia verse before we close out our conversation, it's, I give you a new commandment, says the Lord, love one another as I have loved you. We've been talking Amen. to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to check out what's happening over at the Institute of Catholic Culture, where do they find you? We're about to launch our new curriculum year at the ICC. Our lead, uh, lead program is uh, Father Spitzer on Eucharistic Miracles. Come check us out, instituteofcatholicculture.org institute of catholic culture.org institute of catholic is linked at sonrisemorningshow.com father spitzer on eucharistic miracles are you kidding me wow good stuff you can find it linked like i said at our website and encourage you to go hit subscribe so you can get all that information in your inbox every morning as we go on the air we got another hour of the sunrise morning show coming up next for most of our ewtn affiliates Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Friday, the 15th of September. It's the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Mother of Sorrows, with strength from above, you stood by the cross, sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And with tender care, you bore him in your arms, mourning and weeping. We praise you for your faith, which accepted the life God planned for you. We praise you for your hope, which trusted that God would do great things in you. We praise you for your love and bearing with Jesus the sorrows of his passion. Holy Mary, may we follow your example and stand by all your children who need comfort and love. Mother of God, stand by us in our trials and care for us in our many needs. Pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show here on EWTN. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. And uh, up this hour, we're going to take a look at the Pietà, perhaps one of the most famous images in all of history. And Liz Lev is an art historian, and she's going to dive into kind of uh, some of the devotional and historical aspects 
of the Pieta. Father Dwight Longenecker's got a new book. It's a bit of a memoir of his spiritual journey. You may know that he grew up fundamentalist, was an Anglican priest, and now is a Catholic priest, and uh, that makes for a lot of story to tell. We'll talk about his new book. Bobby Schindler will join us from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Also, Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston will look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings, so please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England ahead of Hurricane Lee. Lee is currently a Category 1 hurricane northwest of Bermuda. The National Weather Service says the storm will pass offshore near of offshore of New England on Saturday, but its impact will be felt far from the storm's center. A tropical storm warning is currently in effect along the coast from Rhode Island to Maine. Forecasters are warning of wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour, surge flooding, and heavy rainfall. The United Auto Workers Union is now on strike after failing to reach a new contract with the big three automakers. Mark Mayfield reports. Thursday's deadline passed, prompting targeted strikes against Ford, GM, and Stellantis. Union President Sean Fain said that workers at three plants, one at each automaker, would be the first to picket. Those sites are in Missouri, Ohio, and Michigan. The UAW, made up of more than 140,000 members, is seeking pay increases, a four-day work week, and the return to pension and retiree benefits. One estimate says a strike lasting just 10 days could result in a total loss nationwide of more than $5 billion. Meantime, the White House said President Biden spoke to Fain and company officials about the negotiations. I'm Mark Mayfield. Major TV and film studios have agreed to resume contract talks with striking Hollywood writers. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers released a statement yesterday saying it was working to schedule a meeting next week. The statement said every member of the alliance is, quote, committed and eager to reach a fair deal and working together with the WGA to end the strike. The Writers Guild of America says it shared the development with its 11,000 members a few hours later. Hollywood actors are also on strike but are conducting separate negotiations. Pope Francis has praised what he called the courageous and prophetic witness of ecumenical scholars. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis emphasized the rigorous and scholarly exegetical exchange among academics that allows the beauty of the apostles' letters and their importance for Christian and ecclesial life to emerge. The Pope described the initiative as courageous in overcoming barriers of defensiveness and prophetic in promoting a healthy impatience of the spirit for fullness of unity and commitment to bearing witness. Throughout history, divisions have been a source of suffering, the Pope said. Today we must commit ourselves to reversing course, moving forward on the paths of unity and fraternity, which begin precisely by praying, studying, and working together. Noting that colloquium participants are focusing on chapters 9 through 11 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, Pope Francis highlighted the irrevocable call and gifts of God described in Romans 11.29. Here he said, St. Paul hands on to us a message of fundamental importance. God does not fail in his promises of salvation and patiently carries them out, even through unexpected and surprising ways. Pope Francis said his support for the colloquium's work is based precisely on the foundation of our confidence in the mercy and promises of God. 
While encouraging them to continue their fraternal and academic dialogue, he also invited the scholars, above all else, to allow themselves to be amazed by the countless spiritual resources contained in the Pauline letters in order to offer Christian communities new words, able to communicate the Father's merciful goodness, Christ's newness of salvation, and the Spirit's renewing hope. He concluded with his own hope that the work of the colloquium might foster the ecumenical spirit among believers as an aid to our common journey of seeking the Lord. I'm Christopher Wells. Pope Francis met with royalty yesterday. The Holy Father welcomed King Philippe and Queen Matilda of Belgium at the Vatican. The Holy See Press Office reports their conversation focused on international issues including Africa and the war in Ukraine as well as their commitment to peace. And the Philadelphia Eagles kicked off week two with a 34-28 to takedown of the Minnesota Vikings on Thursday night football. The action continues on Sunday with a big AFC matchup highlighting the day. Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Jaguars. How do you pronounce it, Matt? Jaguars. I'm more interested in how you pronounce it. You always say Jaguars. I know. The Jaguar. The Jaguars. Will host Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in a rematch of the AFC Divisional Round matchup from last season. So, uh, and you had a what? What was the wild card update again? Just for oh, wild card update fans? is it's wild card is wild. Let's just say so. Just to give you a, a sense of so, it's you got you got three wild card teams that can possibly go to the to the. Playoffs. So Philadelphia Phillies are pretty much a lock at this point, unless something crazy happens. Cubs are your second team. For the third team, you've got four teams right at it. So San Francisco Giants, Cincinnati Reds, and Arizona Diamondbacks all tied. Nice for that spot. Go Reds! With the Miami Marlins back only one half game. That's nuts. I think the Giants play a doubleheader today. They can do a lot or lose a lot against the Rockies today. There you go. Be very interesting to see how that goes. Most definitely. Well, today is Friday, September the 15th. It is the Feast of My Girl, Our Lady of Sorrows, the Mater Dolorosa. Pray for us. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Liz Lev. She's an art historian, guide to Italy and Rome, author of, among other books, How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. Find her online at elizabeth-lev.com, as well as mastersgalleryrome.com. Liz, good morning. Good morning to you, Annie. It is good to have you back, and we are going to be talking about Michelangelo's Pieta this morning, and um, this to commemorate Our Lady of Sorrows, whose feast today, but of course the whole month of September dedicated to Our Blessed Mother and her seven sorrows, and of course when her son was taken off the cross, this a moment that, that has captured the imagination of many artists, right? But Ma- Michelangelo just captured it in a way that has captured all of us. Michelangelo really redefined it. As a matter of fact, as you said, we have this, this meditation moment, right? It's not a scriptural moment where we hear about, there's no scripture that says Jesus was handed to his mother, but it's a meditation that really gained traction right around the 13th century, particularly in Germany. So we find the very first 
statues that are supposed to represent what they called the Vesper build, the work for the Vespers, sort of thinking in the eve of the Good Friday and the Holy Saturday, the Triduum. Um, they were thinking in terms of a meditational work. And so the Germans created this first type of iconography, and then the French took it over, and they called it Piété, which means to feel sorry for. And they began to sort of draw out what the artist is supposed to be doing with this work, right? Making you feel sorry for them. And Michelangelo would then take it to a whole new level. Wow. Okay, so tell us the story about how, I mean, what, he he did multiple Pieta statues, did he not? I mean, we're, we're obviously focusing on the one that is in St. Peter's Basilica. How did that statue come to be? Well, the first one, the one that he was produced for St. Peter's Basilica called the Roman Pietà, is the one that catapulted him to fame. But then later on in life, towards the end of his life, began to rethink this, this prospect. And so there's one in Florence, and then there's another one in Milan, which he produced literally very shortly before his death at age 89. He was still working on a Pietà that today is called the Rodanini Pietà. But the one that is the most indelible in our memories is the commission he got when he was 23 years old in 14 1997, to put this image into St. Peter's for a holy year, no less. So if you can imagine, what a, what a high-pressure debut work. And they give him one block of marble, and that would mean no mistakes. And then they give him a one-year time limit, and that means work fast. And then they give him the subject matter that no Italian had ever carved before. He can't look to his Italian predecessors of Barocchi or Donatello. He has to look at these German and French pietas. And how do they make you feel sorry for Mary and Jesus? They exaggerate the wounds. They put the body in rigor mortis. They carve drops of blood. They make everything look visceral, a visceral image of suffering. Now, if, you, if your listeners don't know, Michelangelo was from Florence. And for those of you who have been to Florence or perhaps are going to Florence, you should know there's a little rule about Florentines. They don't do ugly. So Michelangelo, <laughs> despite the fact that he was 23, he was just a kid, he looked at the, the prototypes and he said no. And he produced this whole new Pietà, this triangular, beautiful image where Mary becomes like a living shroud for her son, completely absorbing the body of Jesus in the middle. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, of course, her son is the focal point of this scene. I mean, he has just died on the cross for our salvation. So talk about, since we're we're commemorating Our Lady of Sorrows this morning, talk about Mary's role in that as expressed by Michelangelo. Well, the interesting thing is, indeed, the body of Jesus is the focal point, but it's almost impossible to see the wounds, even without the problem of the bulletproof glass, because it was attached by the crazy guy in 1972. (laughs) The wounds are downplayed. The body is so beautiful. It's the body of a Greek god, and then these poignant images, these poignant touches from a lifeless man, the shoulder bunching up under the ear, the fold of flesh over the fingers, the, the veins that are distended because the blood has pooled. So we look at a body that is so beautiful, it forces us to think of this from Mary's perspective. And then we start thinking, wait a minute, Mary knew he was God from the minute the angel showed up in her room. 
This is 33 years not only of a mother pouring affection into her son, but it's also a daughter of Israel who's awaiting the Savior. And all of this comes, all of this ends abruptly when her son is arrested, tortured, and killed and handed to her for burial. And so we are really invited to enter into the mystery of Our Lady of Sorrows, who everything she put, every single egg in this basket, and it looks like it's all over. And the startling, amazing part of the image is that face of Mary, so enigmatic, youthful, and calm. And it draws us back to that moment of the Annunciation, pictured thousands of times in Florence, when Mary says to the angel Gabriel, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be done to me according to thy word. Michelangelo allows us to meditate on a Mary who, when she said yes to God, she meant it. She meant it when she was 15 or 13 or whatever she was, and 33 years later, that triangular composition echoes the stability of Mary's fiat. You talked about how Florence... Florence painters, Florence artists, they don't do ugly. And I mean, this is something that is so striking to me with the Pieta, and I'm hoping you can reflect on it from like a theological point of view. You don't ever think of, of well, from a non-theological point of view, you don't ever think of suffering as beautiful. And, let, and yet Michelangelo brings this to a whole new level, the beauty of redemptive suffering. It truly is that. So when we look more closely at that work, if you look closely at the work, you'll notice that the way he carved the drapery around Mary's face, it was much more complicated because he carved it so it falls away from her face. And in doing that, it creates a ribbon of darkness very, very close to her brow and her cheeks. And the darkness intensifies around the sides of her neck. The front of her drapery was carved in deep, deep, deep crevasses, creating lots of folds and shadows. And the work was originally in the old St. Peter's Basilica, where it would have been low niche, where it appeared that darkness was encroaching on all sides. What you're looking at is the temptation to despair, sorrow sadness, disappointment, grief, it tempts to despair. And there it is, that darkness, trying to find a chink in Mary's armor. But Mary focuses on that body of Jesus, which Michelangelo polished to a reflective surface. It's so highly polished that from the other side of St. Peter's, with a million people in it, you can still see the light reflecting off Jesus' body, Mary. She never loses sight of the light, even in the darkest moments. Mary always keeps her gaze firmly fixed on the light, which is her son. Which is such an example to all of us, especially in the midst of our own sufferings, whatever those may be. Liz, I've got chills talking to you about (laughs) Michelangelo's Pieta. I'd love talking to you about anything, but this in particular was just amazing. We've got elizabeth-lev.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Liz, thank you so much and happy feast. Thank you. So, yeah, you too. Bye. All right. It is 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. 
Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Hurricane Lee is still out in the Atlantic as a Category 1 hurricane northwest of Bermuda. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England. Pope Francis has praised what he called the courageous and prophetic witness of ecumenical scholars. And the Holy Father yesterday met royalty. Yeah, from Belgium. From Belgium. So, Anna Mitchell, I just posted a a video on our Facebook page. We put this out this morning from the Coming Home Network uh, from uh, an upcoming Journey Home guest. It's a little teaser for her episode in a few months. Um, uh, Deb Scaravilli grew up in a dispensationalist background. Her father was a dispensationalist preacher. Uh, And I don't know if you know much about dispensationalism, but... say that I do. uh, Among other things, there's this idea that certain things apply for certain eras of salvation history, and then once the New Covenant comes in then all the old stuff doesn't apply in the same way we we understand this in certain ways like jesus fulfills you know the passover that kind of things uh but she would be a late dispensation like mid-acts like the only stuff that really counts sort of is the stuff like once the gospel becomes available to the gentiles so for instance in this dispensationalist world because jesus tells people to baptize in the great commission and then Paul comes and gives this new covenant later, then baptism really only applies to the people before Paul got that word. Hmm. So she went from there to an evangelical church, which still had, it had like symbolic understandings of baptisms and, and the Eucharist. They were, they were meaningful, but just symbolic. And then she talks about discovering the sacramental life after coming from this place where there was no sacramental life. Wow. She says this extraordinary thing, though, about communion. Uh, because when she was in this kind of space making this transition, she remembers what she thought when she took her last communion as a Protestant hmm. and praying, Lord, I know this isn't you. Wow. <laughs> but I am oh, going to man. go to a place where it is. That's intense. Uh, yeah, you should watch her video. It's on our Facebook page. Does your back to a busier morning routine? 
if you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A prayer for vocations by our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II. Lord Jesus... As you once called the first disciples to make them fishers of men, let your sweet invitation continue to resound. Give young men and women the grace of responding quickly to your voice. Support our bishops, priests, and consecrated people in their apostolic labor. Grant perseverance to our seminarians and to all those who are carrying out the ideal of a life totally consecrated to your service. Lord. Send workers to your harvest and do not allow humanity to be lost for the lack of pastors, missionaries, and people dedicated to the cause of the gospel. Mary, Mother of the Church, help us to say yes to the Lord who calls us to cooperate in the divine plan of salvation. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Greg Connerman. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's great to catch up with Father Dwight Longenecker, who's now got a book, a uh, memoir of sorts, called There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey that chronicles his path from fundamentalist Christianity through Anglican ministry to the Catholic Church. Father Longenecker, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, glad to have you. And, you know... You've written and talked a little bit about your story in various places before. You've shared it on the journey home and uh, and all that. What led you to want to sit down and really write this out in kind of longer form? I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with my hearing this morning. Did you could you repeat that? Oh, I was just going to ask you why you wrote the book. Yeah. Well, I've been asked about um, writing my conversion story for some time. And I thought I would just leave it for a bit until I had a bit more to say. So uh, I finally got around to it a year or so ago and and finally put it down to writing. Well, it is uh, an extraordinary story. Uh, There are various things we could probably focus on here, you know, one of which is that, you know, over at the Coming Home Network, we now have close to 2,000 different stories of people who've come from every background imaginable into the church, including tons and tons of former Protestant ministers, but in 1995, when you came into the church, I imagine that you did not know that there were a whole bunch of other people doing the same thing, or that were that this was a thing. So, what was it like for you to go from Anglican well, ministry to Catholicism? Yeah, I was an Anglican priest. I was a priest in the Church of England at the time, and this was sure. during the controversy over the ordination of women to the priesthood in the Anglican Church. So, in fact, from where I was sitting, there were a lot of us who were actually taking the step to come over to the Catholic Church. When that happened in the Anglican Church in the early 1990s, nearly a thousand Anglican priests up 
and retired, resigned from their ministry and became Catholics. So it it is a fascinating thing to to think about, but you know, even you being in Anglican ministry is a bit strange because you came from a fundamentalist background. I wonder if you could talk about what led you first from fundamentalism to liturgical <coughs> Christianity. Yeah, uh, I had attended uh, the fundamentalist Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and <coughs> while I was there. I was reading a lot of English literature. I was an English and speech and English major, uh, and I con- I contracted a serious illness called Anglophilia, the love of all things English. <laughs> so, and part of that was the Anglican Church, the Church of England. And uh, I became an Anglican while I was at uh, Bob Jones University. I'd visited England a couple of times and decided I wanted to go over and live over there and be an Anglican priest. Well, I mean, that is a... Uh... That's quite a culture shift from the American South to England, uh, but you know what? You you mentioned that sort of Anglo uh, disease of being infected with something Anglican. Uh, our friend David Mills talks about something else he got when he was an Anglican, which is Romish fever, Roman fever. <laughs> so how did that come about? Uh, that interest in the Catholic faith. <coughs> One of the other influences while I was at Bob Jones was the influence of a very simple but devout Catholic laywoman, uh, and she just befriended me, uh, and I saw in her for the first time a, some, a Catholic who took their faith seriously um, and yet seemed to be normal, which, seemed to, which was a great gift. Uh, and she stayed in touch with me after I went to Oxford and encouraged me along the path uh, to visit a Benedictine monastery. So these influences were very attractive. Also, I began in my worship and understanding of the Anglican Church to move to a much more Catholic understanding within Anglicanism. And there are um, a lot of things to be said about that, uh, because even Newman, uh, John Henry Newman, one of the most famous uh, Anglican converts, came to the Catholic Church by trying to make Anglicanism more Catholic. Uh, But as you sum all this up, in a book, I mean, what is it that, uh, was there anything that struck you as you were writing it in long form that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while or hadn't thought about till you started writing? My, um, yeah, I, I began to think through again, re- think through again the strengths and weaknesses of the evangelical Protestant position and also the strengths and weaknesses of the Anglican position. And at the end of the day, somebody has said about me, they've said, you can take the boy out of fundamentalism, but you can't take fundamentalism out of the boy. Uh, in other words, they were criticizing me for, for, for still retaining a certain uh, sort of evangelical fundamentalist attitude. And I think as I get older, um, there's some truth in what they were saying, and that is I value the simple faith of the evangelicals and their um, <clears throat> adherence to the historic faith, something which the Anglicans now, along with other, the other mainstream Protestant denominations, have, have sort of jettisoned wholesale in their um, advocacy for the, wake, for the woke agenda, for political correctness, and for all of, the, all of the enchantments of the modern world. Well, this is all detailed in your book, There and Back Again, a somewhat religious odyssey. It came out this summer, and I encourage people to go 
Check it out. Uh, it's from Ignatius Press, and it's got actually a pretty nice-looking uh, cover. I'm really uh, kind of impressed with how they drew you on here, Father Dwight. Uh, that's a not, not a bad rendering of you. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Some people don't like the cover, but I think it's successful. Well, I mean, it looks like you, <laughs> so uh, we'll take it. If our listeners want to find the book, I encourage people to head on over to sunrisemorningshow.com. we got a link directly to where you can find Father Dwight Longenecker's new book, There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey. Father Dwight, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to write this down and spending a little time with us this morning. It's great to hear from you. You guys and your listeners have a great day today. All right. We will do our best. And again, while you're at sunrisemorningshow.com, not only can you find links to Father Dwight's book, There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey, you can find links to all of our guests. You can also uh, put in your email address and subscribe so you can get show notes delivered to your inbox daily, uh, along with prayers that we use to kick off the hour. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Tropical storm warnings are being issued in New England ahead of Hurricane Lee, which is currently a Category 1 hurricane northwest of Bermuda. The National Weather Service says Lee will pass offshore of New England tomorrow, but its impact will be felt far from the storm center. A tropical storm warning is currently in effect along the coast from Rhode Island to Maine. Forecasters are warning of wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour, surge flooding, and heavy rainfall. A new report says Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be meeting with President Biden at the White House next week. More from Mark Mayfield. Sources tell Axios that Zelensky will also hold meetings on Capitol Hill and speak to the U.N. General Assembly. Both Zelensky and Biden are scheduled to address the assembly on Tuesday. The White House has not commented on the report. Congress is currently considering Biden's request for an additional $20 billion in aid to Ukraine in its war against Russia. I'm Mark Mayfield. USAID, the independent department of the federal government that distributes aid to foreign countries, has announced a new religious engagement policy. The Catholic News Agency reports that the goals include improved collaboration between religious institutions and the agency to maximize humanitarian assistance outcomes. The agency will also be pursuing what it calls strategic religious engagement with religious partners. They say the policy, entitled Building Bridges, underscores the, quote, important role of religious communities and faith-based organizations as strategic development partners, end quote. Pope Francis met with royalty yesterday. The Holy Father welcomed King Philippe and Queen Matilda of Belgium at the Vatican, the Holy See Press Office reports that their conversation focused primarily on international issues, including Africa and the war in Ukraine, as well as the commitment to peace. The Vatican Secretary of State, meanwhile, is traveling to Slovakia. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo has more. Cardinal Pietro Parolin, the Vatican Secretary of State, highlighted that his visit, marked by significant anniversaries, has a clear objective to share the faith of the ecclesial communities, to strengthen their communion, to renew the message that the Holy Father left during his apostolic visit, to pray together to the Virgin Mary on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, the national patroness for the country and for the great intentions that are close to the Pope's heart, and especially for peace. 
This visit also aims to foster cooperation between the Holy See and Slovakia to promote values such as social justice, solidarity, fraternity and peace, said the Cardinal. When asked about what Slovakia can offer to the world despite its size, he responded that its small size does not prevent it from making an extremely significant contribution to the world and its transformation. He emphasized that this contribution is tied to Slovakia's rich history, its culture, Christian heritage, commitment to spiritual values and the promotion of mutual respect and civil and religious coexistence. Reflecting on the mission of St. Cyril and Methodius, Cardinal Parolin noted that they provide an extraordinary testimony of how Christianity can be successfully integrated into different cultures, a concept known precisely as enculturation. He highlighted the importance of this testimony for our time, including the appreciation of diversity and unity, mutual respect, the need for enculturation and interreligious dialogue. He also emphasized the need to translate faith into a language which is accessible to younger generations, and this requires a great capacity to listen to one another, he says. Finally, regarding the importance of coming together in prayer and action, Cardinal Parolin expressed his anticipation of large, lively, prayerful religious gatherings during the visit. He encouraged participation to strengthen faith, love for the Lord, and commitment to values, aiming for the Church to truly be a light for all and to transform society with the leaven of the Gospel. I'm Francesca Merlo. A 54-day novena begins today in Ohio on this Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows and will run through Election Day when voters in the state will decide whether to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged the faithful and all people of goodwill to vote no on issue one, which would legalize abortion through all nine months of pregnancy in Ohio and eliminate parental rights. The bishops are praying, quote, May the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of our Lord and Savior, and St. Joseph, Protector of the Family, intercede for Ohio and its families. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What are the chief qualities of a good confession? The chief qualities of a good confession are three. It must be humble, sincere, and entire. There was a moment when a man came into the confessional, and he was almost proud of all the sins he had committed. Someone else came into the confessional later, and they said they were sorry, but the priest got the impression that they really weren't. Finally, a third person came, and they said one sin, but not everything. And so what we see in each of these three bad confessions is that there was something missing. Humility was missing in the first. Sincerity was missing in the second. Entirety or totality was missing in the third. 
But when we make a good confession, we humble ourselves, let the Lord see us entirely as we are. And so when we make a good confession, that can help us to keep faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So when the Charlie Gard case happened in the UK, we talked about it quite a bit. There's now another case uh, that is sort of bringing back some of the same issues. I wonder if you could share that with us. Sure. Uh, It's hard to believe the the Gard case was... Uh, six years ago, uh, in fact, I don't know if you remember, but I was, I got close to the family. I flew over to England to, to support them during this time. It was a heart-wrenching case and, and really grabbed international attention. In fact, I don't know if your listeners remember, maybe you don't remember either, Matt, maybe you do, but Pope Francis and President Trump, Trump were both, oh, they both uh, speaking in. out. Yeah. Right. And they were supporting the family's efforts to get care for, for Charlie. Well, this case is somewhat similar. They, there's a, a young baby, six-month-old, Indy Gregory, and the hospital where she's being, I guess you can say, cared, <laughs> treated, Nottingham University Hospital, NHS Trust. Um, they are uh, telling the parents that they're no longer going to treat uh, this young, young girl. The parents want to continue treating. She has the same issue. It's called mitochondrial disease. Apparently, it's a rare genetic condition. And it, and it somehow takes the uh, energy from the body's cells. It is eventually can lead to a, a person's death. But the family wants to continue care. There's some other um, some other issues that the parents want to be treated, and the hospital won't even treat treat the other issues that would extend this baby's life because of this uh, issue, this disease that she has. So, what what is so what is so um, what's the word, uh, Matt? When, when I read the statements from the hospital, it, it, it's really disturbing to me uh, how they really substitute judgment for the parents. And uh, one of the comments, uh, you know, the parents just want to treat their daughter enough where if they can, they can care for her at home until the uh, disease takes its course. But the, the hospital, the spokesman for the hospital, that they believe it state they stated it's Indy's best interest not to be given treatment to sustain her life in the event that her condition deteriorates and and I just and I read this and they say they believe it's in her best interest not to be treated it's in her, they're saying it's in her best interest that that we're going to kill her is essentially what they're saying rather than her parents who love her unconditionally can continue to care and try to do everything they can to treat her with compassion and love, uh, which we expect any parents to do, but yet the hospital's intervening and intentionally going to say, no, we're going to, we know what's best for your child, and, and what's best for your child is, is going to enter life. It, it's really upsetting when you read these kind of statements from these hospitals uh, that, are, that are caring for these individuals. Well, there are so many ways to, to kind of unpack and back things up, um, you know, because this child has a a condition that will very likely, you know, take their life. I mean, let's let's just be frank and open about it. Uh, I, there are all kinds of people who have conditions that will take their life, but 
Uh, I've known people who've been given three to five years to live who are in year nine. <laughs> you know, I know people who were encouraged to uh, abort their child and their child is now in the in their teenage years. I know all kinds of ways that these these situations have played out in uh, sort of surprising ways, maybe not optimal medical ways, right? Maybe people, people still have challenges and struggles. Maybe people get tired off and maybe people will have cognitive issues. Maybe people have all, all these kinds of things. Uh, but to just say, oh, lost cause, uh, we're just going to, uh, to, to speed up this process by denying care. That's a decision that I don't think that you should be making as a doctor on behalf of a family. And it happens all the time, Matt. And you're right. I mean, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories where patients and individuals have defied the odds, have, have proven doctors wrong. We post them on our website all the time. And the, these medical futility policies, even here in the United States, I mean, we're, this is in the U.K., but this, is, this, this happens frequently here in the U.S. where decisions are made, they're imposed, and they go against the family's wishes or the parents' wishes. Wishes it happens all the time. In fact, we talk about these cases quite often. Uh, why this case gets the attention that it does? Why the Charlie Guard case gets the attention that it does internationally like this? It's, I'm, I'm curious what, why this one. You know, is it because the parents went to the media? Uh, because, as I said, I mean, the, the, these types of cases are quite common. And and when they get the when they get high pro, high profile like this, Matt, sometimes I wonder if the courts dig in their heels and the hospital dig in their heels to, to make an example out of families and basically uh, so other families won't try and fight because I, I'm not very optimistic that the courts are going to side with the family here. I mean, what the guards went through and 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 I think even in the guard situation, Matt, they had a doctor that came forward and said that he could quite, quite possibly treat Charlie. And they even had a hospital that was willing to accept Charlie, and the court still refused, and the hospital still refused to release Charlie to this doctor and to this hospital. So it's, it's heartbreaking, and as you said, I mean, you, you don't know what the future holds for the patient, particularly if they're praying for him, the power of prayer. And, and, but it should be the parents making these decisions, not, not hospitals or the courts. Well, I mean, I have all kinds of theories as to, you know, why— this attention has has caught or this this case has caught attention and others might not have i mean among others you know you're dealing with a cute little baby who we've got pictures of them smiling right uh that they right. cry like a normal baby like once you put a face on some of this stuff bobby i feel like it's hard for you to 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 deny it in the same way at least as a society and as a society you might look at a story that's just where it's just text and it's just like a you can treat it like a math problem, but once you start to see a human being, I feel like there's something in us still left, Bobby. There's something in us still left that says, I don't know, man, that's not right. Well, you know, it's interesting you said that, Matt, because it, you, know, you go back to my sister's case, and, and you know, there was only reports of her in the media, and Michael was, and her attorney were, was portraying her as like this bedridden, uh, you know, someone who was just... Uh, in a condition that, that was just terrible, suffering horribly. And, and as, soon as, we, as soon as we released photos and videos of my sister, which proved that to be wrong, I think that really piqued people, people's interest in saying, hey, what, what's going on? You're right. They, you humanize. When you humanize a person and you say, hey, this is a life here that we're trying to kill, when there's parents that want to that 
you know, love and care for this person. I, I think you're right. I think it does draw attention to, to the situation. I mean, when this goes back really to the whole understanding of Catholic social teaching, we don't believe in, uh, you know, the idea of abortion being a grave moral evil as some abstract concept. Uh, we don't uh, talk about various other issues that are at stake in the culture of life as mere abstract concepts. Uh, we talk about them in a person-centered way, right? It's always the human being that's at the center of this discussion and why we do that. It's not some moral, abstract, philosophical construct. These are people, right? And and the church is always reminding us that you are to see the face of Christ in the person, uh, and that's that's the that's the moral starting point. So, Bobby Schindler, if our listeners want to connect with you, uh, maybe they've got a case of their own that they would like some help and support and guidance on. How do they do so? Sure, thank you, Matt. It's uh, lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Bobby Schindler, have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, we've got another uh, priest on. We try and do this every Friday, get somebody on, a couple priests on to take a look at the Sunday Mass reading so you don't go in not knowing what you're going to hear. We're going to give you a look at that with Father Jonathan Duncan after the break. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hey Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car on Sirius XM Channel 130 and on the go on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Friday, September the 15th, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And we get a chance this time every week to take a look at the Sunday Mass readings and uh, get a little bit more prepared for what we're going to hear proclaimed in the Liturgy of the Word. And to do that, uh, we've got Father Jonathan Duncan on the line from the Diocese of Charleston. He's Director of Spiritual Health at Bon Secours St. Francis Hospital, also involved with school and college campus ministries. Father Duncan, good morning. Good morning, Matt. 
So these are going to be some hard readings coming up on Sunday for anybody who wants to get on social media and just go on a tear. I'm just going to straight up read some stuff from Sirach, which is in the first reading. All right. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. The vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance, for he remembers their sins in detail. Forgive your neighbor's injustice, then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Could anyone nourish anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? Yikes. I'm going to delete every single social media profile I've got, Father. <laughs> you know, it, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the it world. It would not be the worst thing for my soul. You no. know, if, uh, if we all just sacrifice that part of it, you know, if, if, what is it the Lord Jesus says, you know, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I'm pretty sure that extends to your various, you know, social media avatars and whatnot. But um, here we are. I mean, yeah, I, I think right out of the gate, we're going to get this, this rebuke. It's also like it's also such a powerful pastoral warning because it's not simply the case that that anger and, and wrath and these things um, will will bar us from forgiveness, uh, though they certainly will, as, as Sirach warns. And it's not just that like holding on to that can damage our spiritual lives, maybe even eternally, which it certainly can. But we even know in this life, in, in our day-to-day life, it's destructive. It can be destructive of our bodies. You know, we, we know some things about the human body, that if somebody is perpetually angry, that's going to cause, you know, high blood pressure, I mean, heart issues. I mean, there's all kinds of things that this kind of anger and wrath and rage that can be provoked by things like social media um, has destructive capabilities both for our bodies, for our mental health, and certainly for our souls and for our eternal destiny. Um, so it, it's just it, it's a stern warning just kind of right out of the gate on Sunday that we have to be people of mercy and people like, like our Lord God who are quick not to be angry, but quick to forgive, quick to give the best possible interpretation, quick to give every benefit of the doubt. Uh, and, and often, we're exactly the opposite. We're quick to ascribe the worst motives, uh, no benefit of the doubt, and the worst possible um, insinuations by everything that we hear from other people. And we need to be exactly the opposite. We need to be so quick to jump on someone with mercy and so slow to become enraged and, and angry. Um, so when a, I saw that that's these... kind of spiritual muscle that has to be, that has to be worked and trained. It, it doesn't come easy. Well, you talk about training and not coming easy and having some, some guidance on these questions. When I saw that these were the readings that were coming up this week, uh, the first thing I thought was, man, this is really interesting in light of what the readings for Mass were last week. Because <laughs> if people recall, uh, the first reading from Mass last week was from Ezekiel, uh, where we were told, hey, listen, if you see somebody who's doing something terrible and wicked, and you don't tell them, you're going to die in your own guilt for not having warned this person. But if you warn them, you know... Uh, and they don't obey, then they'll die for their guilt, but you'll save yourself. So there is this 
uh, even in the gospel, this idea of if you see someone who is doing something wicked, you need to confront them about it or it's on your soul. Put up against this reading uh, sequence that we've got this week, which is you better forgive people or you can't expect to to demand mercy from a God when you've not shown mercy to anyone else. I mean, there is this interesting balance between calling people who are sinning to conviction, but forgiving them and not holding any grudge against them in the process. Absolutely right. I mean, I think if you were to, if you were to just have the readings from this Sunday without what we heard last week, then you would be tempted to say, well, I guess my job, you know, the best thing I can do is to just disengage from all of life and never talk to anyone never speak up when the truth needs to be said, never um, try to correct someone when they're saying something that's or, or acting in a way that's destructive to them or to others, you would be tempted to think the best course of action for me is to simply disconnect from others, disconnect from, from life. And yet last week's readings remind us that, no, 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 you're called to something so much more difficult it's not enough for you to simply say, well, uh, you know, to hell with them, and I'm, I'm doing my thing. No, 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 you're invited to something so much more, which is a life of mercy that, yes, is able to reach out to those who are heading towards destruction and to invite them to something better, but that has mercy when they fail or when they uh, refuse or when they say no thanks. And again, all of this is to mirror the mercy and compassion of the Lord, who is not disconnected or disengaged from our lives, constantly, by His grace, trying to call us to repentance, and slow to anger, and quick to show mercy. That's what we want, not disengagement, nor is it um, trying to come down with, a, with an iron fist of judgment on people, but something, uh, a third way. It's more. It's 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 harder. It's just harder. Well, and, and think about all the different ways that we get this wrong. Um, erring to the side of justice or mercy, as though to say, uh, God is a just God, and there's no mercy for certain kinds of people that I don't like. Or saying God is a merciful God, and why are we focusing on this moral code? There are always efforts to pit God's justice against his mercy and not realizing that if he's an infinite God, he's both infinitely just and infinitely merciful. And I have no idea what that what that means, right? I just know that it's not a good idea for me to err too far in either direction and minimize the other, because either way, I'm going to be minimizing something infinite. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's part of the reason why, and it may seem abstract, but in this, in this principle, that's why it's so essential that the Catholic Church's like, philosophical understanding, and historic Christian philosophical understanding of God's simplicity, which means that not God is simple in the sense of, um, you know, his mind, or, you know, but it's God's simplicity means that all of his attributes are one. His justice is his mercy, and vice versa. And that means we're called to something that, frankly, is so much harder than just being that jerk who wants to go around without mercy, or that other person who just wants to be the kind of libertine and just say, oh, whatever you do, that's fine. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here uh, to rebuke. I'm not here to give any input. And it's like, no, either of those paths is way too easy. God is calling us to something 
that wants us to engage with those around us in mercy as he has come in the person of Jesus Christ to draw all people to mercy through him. It is a powerful thing to reflect upon, and uh, it ain't the easy way, but it's the way of the gospel. Well, thank you so much, Father Jonathan Duncan. We'll talk to the rest of you on Monday. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.